episode 280 in the books, Pete. What do you think about that? I think we're kicking butt and taking names. And I'll tell you what, one of these days, we're going to get through all these various holidays and everything else. And we're going to be able to announce exactly what's going on behind the scenes. It's been going on for a while now. <laughs> yeah, it has. Uh, but uh, we appreciate all of you joining us. Uh, certainly, it's great to be here uh, talking about the markets, which are moving a little more actively, Pete. Yeah. So let's start off with one of the reasons uh, we're going to hit the macro minute, everybody. Hmm. Macro minute is home prices set a new record. Now, that's good if you own a home. It's probably not good if you're trying to sell that home because a lot fewer people qualify for it. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's an issue that's going to be with us for a while, I think, Pete. Yeah, I, I think so too, John. I totally agree with you. And we've been talking about volatility. I just wanted to hit it again today because we did get up and over 18 yesterday. We pulled right back today, back up and over that 18 level again. Uh, do we get a little bit stickier? Do we start moving up towards 20? I think you and I decided yesterday and maybe even previous to that, that the answer is probably, probably yes, especially given the backdrop of what we're seeing with rates and you bring up home prices how about some of those 30-year rates, John? I mean, uh, they're starting to get back up there at a pretty high, a lofty level as well. And that's going to be interesting for sure. Absolutely. And folks, how about this? Get ready for it. Fantastic futures. <laughs> fantastic <laughs> futures are not fantastic if you've been uh, long the TLT. Now, what is the TLT? It's the 20-year bond that trades as an exchange-traded fund or ETF. It has lost almost 50% of its value from its 2020 high, Pete. That was the all-time high in 2020. Well, it has been going straight down since. <laughs> yeah, well, something that's not going straight down, matter of fact, it's kind of going straight up. How about the two-year? How about the 10-year? It's why you and I hammer through the, to people, John, a lot of the things that we do. We bring up things like volatility. We bring up the price of crude. We bring up the price of gold, some of the rest of the commodity structure. But how about when you look at that two-year and you're starting to say, uh, wait just a second here. This is the highest level since March of 2006. It's also the highest level of, since December 2006 for the 10-year. So when you're looking at the 10-year at a 454 and you're looking over at the two-year and you're at 515 or more <laughs> because it's been going up so quickly, um, that's something that I think is very concerning for the markets. And that's why we are seeing some of the heavy selling, John, in the NASDAQ specifically, but even in the Dow. But you look over at the NASDAQ, NASDAQ has been getting you know just absolutely hammered. Why is that? Because we're seeing these rates go higher. People want to take a little bit of risk off, and that's exactly what's happening. Yeah. And uh, I'm happy I bought some puts yesterday, Pete. We talked about on the QQQ, I bought the 355 puts and uh, sold the 343 puts. So it's a 12-point spread, the differential between where I own it and where I sold it. Mm -hmm. And I think we're heading back down towards 325. I hope I'm wrong, but uh, just in case, I'll make a little money on the way down there. And remember, folks, um, you can make more money faster to the downside nearly every time than you can to the upside. So if you're somebody that's been sitting back thinking, maybe I'll hold off on subscribing to this or that over at Market Rebellion, 
You do so at your own peril. There are plenty of puts being bought across the board. We've talked about the IWM. We've talked about the QQQ and the SPY. There are lots of broad market ways you can play the downside with limited risk, defined risk, and yet massive four to one sorts of returns. So just think about that and check out marketrebellion.com forward slash uh, get started. All right, John, Pete, let's talk about John, I. Oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. John, I'm just going to say to that point, it's really mm-hmm. interesting because you come in on a day like today. We weren't down as much as we are now. We were down, but we were down 100 plus, And now all of a sudden it's 300. But isn't it interesting to see on the unusual option activity that in the first 14, 15 hits that we had, uh, only two were bullish. The rest were bearish. And a lot of those in ETFs, like you brought up the Qs, but it's also the spiders, IWM, others as well. So there is a, you know, it's not like that smart money only plays to the upside. They play to the upside. They play it to the downside. They play it in the middle all of it. So I think that's very important for people to understand as well. Couldn't agree more. All right. Let's talk about IMBT because this is one of those outliers, Pete, that is up huge today. IMVP, uh, IMVT was up, Pete, as much as 88% earlier today. Um, Just absolutely on fire. And what is this? Well, they've got a dose-dependent, subcutaneously administered uh, drug that's doing extremely well in trials. And for that reason, to the upside. Uh, You know what Pete always says, so I'll let him say it. I won't steal his thunder. But it's certainly bullish that they've got this. But this isn't the same as delivering this thing after a successful phase three, is it, Pete? No, and, and that's the important thing that everybody should remember. And and it's not that it, you stay away from a stock like this or a biotech like this specifically, but it's something that you better have in the back of your mind because you've got this big pop. It's a 52-week high. In the first 90 minutes, it traded 18 times normal volumes for an entire day. Trades about a million co- uh, shares a day. It already was well over 18 million in the first 90 minutes. Gives you a little bit of perspective. So with all that being said, Do they have a pipeline? Yeah, they got a pretty nice pipeline. Very little um, in terms of at the final stages, but when you've got great results from some of the early stage stuff, like we're seeing now, phase one, phase two type of thing, um, that's meaningful. It's great. It's fantastic, but it doesn't mean you're over the finish line yet. And I think that's something that always should be thought of when people are looking at something like this. Should this be a company that somebody else all of a sudden starts tapping around and looking at it? Maybe a Merck or whomever else out there, John, who's got cash, wants to take a look at this company and try to see, is this thing really the real deal? Well, everything that they've shown so far is great. And we are, we're really happy about that. We all should be happy about that because this is all about our health. This subcutaneous uh, treatment that they're talking about here is something really, really cool. And hopefully it continues on all the way to phase three but we're not there yet. So just keep that in mind and understand that. If you want to play in this this pool, uh, my guess would be that if they've got them, you're going to want to have some puts to protect yourself on the downside, just in case things don't go well in the next couple of phases. Well, uh, that leads us right into another one, Pete. PLRX. This one, very positive news as well. It was up 17 to 1750 or so today, Pete. Right now, it's like $16.20 or so. So obviously, 
it's come off. That's still a 10% rally. So, you know, for anybody who's got some, congratulations. But they also have a clinical trial that uh, is meeting with some success. But same thing, it is not phase three. So there's a lot of burn that goes between phase one, phase two, and a positive completion of phase three. A lot of things can go right. Some things can go wrong. So if you're playing, like Pete said, this is deep end of the pool, folks. But when it hits, it does like IMVT, and it goes up 85%. When it doesn't, it might go down just as fast. Yeah, Pliant Therapeutics, John, it's pretty interesting. They actually have five separate programs working right now. Two of them are already at phase two at this point in time, as far as some of these clinical trials that we talk about. And it's it's an area that we love. Our father was in it forever. Uh, I had to some degree had some parts of that because there was experimental testing going on with drugs oftentimes when I was pre-med and working on some of this stuff. It's really exciting. And what they're doing, I think, is outstanding. Here's the good news. They have a great balance sheet. They don't have any worries about anything right now, John. When I look at it, their cash burn is really low. They've got plenty of cash. So that's part is not a concern. Uh, I guess the only concerns that you'd have is you've got to get some of these of through these clinical trials and get those to the finish line, just like everybody else. But you've got to do that. Uh, it's a stock that was beaten up. We were just at 52-week lows before this latest news that things are going a little bit better here in this particular uh, phase. So we'll see how this goes, John, but this is a stock that was 14 and a half, 52 week low, all the way up to 36.30 for the 52 week highs. We're only at 16 and change. So we're on the low end and we're off of that lowest end. So this is something that if it can start to run, there's plenty of room to the upside and you're a little bit closer to the finish line right now. Not at it finish line, but you're a little bit closer. Yep. And this is a 12-week trial, folks, uh, that they did it, of course, against a placebo, which means more or less a sugar pill or whatever, and it was successful. So that's great. Now we got to get to the next phase. We're not throwing cold water on them. We're just saying uh, it might not be a bad time to uh, uh, protect yourself a little bit. All right. How about United Natural Foods, Pete? UNFI. This one, uh, they reported uh, a loss of 25 cents. That's not good, but they were expected to lose almost 50. So about half. That's good. But you know what? The revenue uh, was a little bit light. And the guidance, well, that was well below estimates. And if you don't destroy the upside and have a little bit of a miss on guidance, you're going to go down. If you have a big miss on guidance, they're going to hammer you. And that's what they're doing right now. It's down 23% at the lows of the day. Yeah, stock is getting absolutely hammered, John. It's too bad. It's 52-week lows. They just they just couldn't execute well enough. And, you know, you're losing money. They, they lose 25 cents. You say, yeah, but it's better than the 47 cents they were projecting. Well, a year ago, they earned one and a quarter. Not negative, positive. So this is a company that certainly has a lot of pressure on it right now to actually perform and they're just not doing it. And then when you give that guidance and you don't quite hit the numbers that you're looking for, that's just one more excuse for folks to say, you know what, I'll come back another time. I'm going to start selling. I want to get out and organic, organic food loss here. This is a problem. And, and I'll tell you what, United National, it's, it's an interesting company. They had been doing pretty well. 
but it's got, it's changed a little bit. Maybe it's the economy. Maybe it is a lot of different things, but whatever it is right now, this is a name that hit 52 week lows today. That's never a good thing. We'll see if there's any kind of bounce, but with that guidance, John, they're going to have to prove it next quarter. Now they're going to have to prove that they can do a little bit better, even than whatever their terrible guidance was. And then maybe just maybe this stock starts moving to the upside again. Yep. For me right now, Pete, even though it's 52-week lows, it's a no-touch. Right. Uh, not a never-touch, but just a no-touch. I'm going to give it a couple days to uh, stabilize. Yeah. All right, let's talk about SNX. And the reason I saw this one, Pete, was I was looking around at Logitech, L-O-G-I. It's a big Swiss company. They make mice and other things, keyboards, wireless keyboards, all that kind of stuff. And I said, why are they down so hard? Well... And then I looked over at SNX and they sell a lot of those peripherals and they sell cell phones and computers and computer parts like Logitech makes. And they are down hard today. Um, they beat on bottom line number. The revenue was basically in line, but the guidance once again was not where it needs to be, Pete. And that's why it's hands out. They're selling, although it is bouncing a little. I'll give them that. It was down 8%. Then it was down six. Now it's down four. So it's making a little bit of a comeback, Pete. Well, and and when you look at the the fundamental side of it, John, and you see the cash flow just under a, a billion dollars, uh, eight hundred and fifty million or eight hundred eighty-five million dollars in free cash flow, not so bad. You know, when when you look at earnings year over year, you know, last year it was like two seventy-four. This year it's two seventy-eight. It's nothing to you know to sneeze at either. At least they're kind of hanging in there to some degree, but. Uh, you got to have a little bit more than that. And you mentioned guidance. We talk about some of the competition that's out there. They've just got to do things a little bit better. Let's not forget this stock was a lot closer to the 52 week highs before today than it was the lows. And because of that, it's eased back for sure. But just like you said, it was down 8%, then 6%. Now it's only about 4%. So I think people are looking at it saying, all right, Maybe we were a little bit too rough on these guys, and maybe there's a little bit of a chance for uh, something a little bit more into the future. And when I look at that free cash flow and I look at the balance sheet, that does make me say, hmm, there's a shot here, maybe. Just a shot, but uh, it's not something where it's a no-touch like we were talking about with some of these other names. I agree. Well, let's dive into sports, Pete, because uh, we're looking at a market that's kind of sucky, so maybe we can pick up people's spirits with the sports. <laughs> Well, let's start this way, John. Let's start with a little bit of college football. And I find this interesting in a year, and we've kind of touched on this a little bit. And, I, and you know, uh, my, my partner, Dave Schwartz, and I on a radio show on Sunday mornings talked about this as well. How about this for the year that the Pac-12, in my opinion, is the best conference in all of college football? Now, it's now the Pac-2, because the only ones left are Oregon State and Washington State at the end of this year. You know, you've got... UCLA and USC coming to the Big Ten, and you've got Washington and Oregon, and then you've got you know others. Utah's going here and there. Everybody's leaving to go somewhere, right? But the curious thing that I've got for you is, are they as good as we think? My answer is yes. I look at the University of Washington ranked number seven. They have the number one offense this year in college football. Passing, as far as yardage, all around, as far as the yardage for the running and passing, these guys are absolutely crushing people, John. They're averaging 50 points a game. USC's averaging 55 points a game. They're number eight. Oregon's number nine. We all know what happened with them with Colorado this past week. We don't need to 
burn a no well anyway I, i'll say real quick it's not about clicks it's about wins and that's that's what oregon does they win a hell of a lot of football games by the way john i don't know if i don't know how this even is a possibility but they supposedly have 350 different combinations for uniforms at the university of oregon because their donor nike hands them basically whatever they want so that's not a bad recruiting tool either. And we've seen that. Been, it's been around for a while. You've got Dion with the voice, but you've got these guys with Nike. So there's a lot of different schools taking different approaches. How about this? The Pac-12, four of the top six quarterbacks for this coming year's draft are from the Pac-12. So it shows you a little bit of something about that. You've got Utah. you got Washington State at number 16. Oregon State, who finally lost their first loss of the year. They're number 19. They're all in the top 20, John. So do you think I'm nuts to think that the Pac-12 in their final year, this could be their best year ever, maybe? No, I don't think you're wrong. Certainly as the Pac-12, as the Pac-8, it's probably not the best year compared to some of those USC teams, Pete. Or even as the Pac-10, some of those Stanford teams, when your buddy uh, was coaching there, who now happens to be wearing... Uh, maize and gold over at Michigan, Mr. Harbaugh. <laughs> and I say, buddy, I know you guys are friendly, but he's probably not that much of a buddy of yours. <laughs> but take a look he at this. He should have got the Viking interview, John. He should have. He should have. He should have taken the Viking job. They should have given him at least the offer. He was flying around all that stuff. But anyway, go on. I'm sorry. But uh, that was one. I think the Vikings really screwed up on that whole thing. I agree. Well, the best team in the Pac-10, Pete, isn't Oregon, as you probably know, or, or maybe you would argue with me, I'm not sure, but it's Utah. Mm-hmm. And Utah uh, beat Florida. They were a ranked team. They beat Baylor. They were not ranked, but they eked one out, let's say, against Baylor. Um, they beat up on Weber State, big deal. And then they beat UCLA, one of the better teams in, out there. So I think they've played more real teams if we take Weber State off that group, Pete, than anybody in the Pac-10. Now, they're going to have to play Oregon State. Like you said, they just lost, but they're still a top-20 team. They play that Saturday, and then they play Cal, uh, the Cal Golden Bears, after a week off. So I am thinking Utah is the best team, Pete. They beat USC twice, but that was last year. Just like TCU, like you said, that was last year. That was a really good TCU team last year. Not so good this year. I think Utah is the best in the West. What do you think? I I would say to you that I, I really love them. I think they're the toughest son of a guns I've ever seen play football. And I'm not exaggerating to say that. I mean, that is a really tough football team and they're aggressive. The only problem that they've got right now, John, and, and you're right about everything you said. The only concern I'd have is they have a hard time scoring points. Their offense is not the offense that they were last year. They had a great tight end, went to the NFL. They've got a great quarterback who's been hurt this year. So the backup's been playing. If they're healthy, this team gets an offense back because they just aren't scoring touchdowns. They're not scoring enough touchdowns. They're scoring enough to win, but they're not scoring enough to dominate. And so I think that that would be my one concern because you play a USC or an Oregon or Washington or Washington State, they're going to put up points on anybody. But, you know, the matter of it ends up, can you outscore them? And I think Utah with their 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 quarterback who's been hurt, and you know what, then they can score. Right now, they're, they're struggling on that side of it. But 
They're tough as nails, there's no doubt. How about the NFL, John? How about a quickie here? All right. Who is the most dominant team this year in the NFL that nobody's really discussing right now? And, I mean, everybody says Miami, including me and you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, most everybody says the 49ers, including me and you. But who are the teams that, and I got two of in my mind right now, are teams that aren't getting respect, and boy, are they good. And for the right reasons, maybe they're not getting the respect, John, but I'll start with the Buffalo Bills. Because they lost the opening game, right, to the Jets, and they played a terrible game, a lot of turnovers. I think that uh, I, th I think our quarterback might have thrown three or four interceptions or something in that game. It was terrible. He had a, t a terrible performance. It wasn't his his game at all for whatever reason. Josh Allen, who's a great quarterback, but he'll force the ball because he's he's got that ego that you want a quarterback to have. You know, you want a guy who's 6'5", 245 pounds. You like when he runs the ball because he ain't your average quarterback and everything. He's a leader. But, John, what if I told you that Buffalo, they've got 91 points uh, so far this year and uh, on offense, and they've only played three games. And once they've gotten to the turnovers figured out, this is a team that's only given up 35 points in the first three games. So their defense is playing at a high level, giving up about a little over 10 or 11 points a game. The offense is definitely playing at a high level, scoring about 30 points a game. And the other one I'd go to is Cleveland Browns. I mean, John, that defense, you and I being defensive guys who love watching real football, not just this, this video game like the – I mean, I love the Dolphins, but that's video game football there. I mean, you know, there's no defense being played. Defenses haven't really played in the NFL over the last few years other than a select few. And I'll tell you this, Cleveland is going to be one of those this year. In these first three games, they have dominated. And a little fellow by the name of Miles Garrett is probably showing now that he is the best defensive end in the game. And I love the Bosa brothers. I love the Watts. I love all these guys, right? But that son of a gun, John, for a guy who's going out to plays and musicals and all this other great poetry and everything else that he does, he might be the meanest man on the field. And if you didn't see this, I'll just tell you, it's worth watching. This past week, when they were playing their most recent game, he lined up on the right side. They put two tight ends on him. He ran over to the left side. They brought the other two tight ends back over to him. He ran back over to the right side. Those two tight ends went over there. They finally had to call a timeout or got a penalty because they can't trust anybody but at least two blockers to be on Miles Garrett. Now, I haven't even seen... I haven't seen Micah Parsons get that kind of attention, and I'm not even sure I remember LT getting that kind of attention, John. I mean, this kid is unbelievable how he's played his career and this year. Do you like those two, or do you got somebody else, or what do you think? Well, I like those. I like that player, Miles Garrett, and uh, Mr. Donald. Uh, I was watching him last night with Monday Night Football, Pete, and still nobody can block that guy. Nobody <laughs> blocks that guy. I mean – it's just terrible uh, or wonderful, depending on which team you're rooting for. I'm going to throw a team out to you, though, Pete. I'm going to throw out the Green Bay Packers because this one, nobody saw them coming. Nope. Oh, they lost Aaron Rodgers. They've got this guy playing, and we don't even know if, you know, if he's going to be with the team at the end of the year. The guy might be in the Pro Bowl at the end of the year, Pete. I mean, look at this. So they beat the Seahawks, right? 
Then they beat the Bears, big deal, right? You know, we all know the Bears suck. Um, but uh, they lose by one uh, to the Falcons. They beat the Saints. And now they've got what might be one of the best Thursday night games of the year, the Packers against the Lions. So I am really excited for both those two teams, Pete, but I'm especially interested to see how Green Bay and their quarterback handle the Lions with some of the best pass rush. They're not Miles Garrett. They're not the absolute best, but they're really, really good. And they've, they are some mean SOBs on that Lions defense. So if he's for real and he can put the Lions down, Pete, I'm not going to say crown him, but I am going to say that he might be ready to take them deep into the playoffs. Well, you know, that's it, a great call by you, John, because I hadn't even thought about it. But I will say this. The one thing I had thought about was how wrong I've been on Jordan Love because I didn't like anything about him getting drafted in the first round. I didn't like anything about the competition he played against in college at Utah State. I mean, it's not Utah. It was Utah State, right? So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things about going into this year where I'm like, wow, this guy is good. He he's, he's a fraud and everything else. And that's, that's on me because so far, John, he looks like one of the more athletic quarterbacks, the way he moves in the pocket, the way he can make a running play if he has to, but he's also got the patience to get the ball out of his hands. And the other thing, John, that nobody's really talking enough about that is like a mash unit on that offensive line that he's got. And he's still in there playing at a high level, like he is and finding the receivers and the running backs and everything he's done. I mean, I don't think that they've had more than two of the regular starters on the field this year so far in the three games they've played. You look at their, their IR sheet, or at least the players that are not playing each week and you go, well, Bakhtiari once again, out this guy out another guy out and the next thing you know you go well how the hell are these guys going to compete and yet they do i mean so i like what you're saying and uh i've always liked detroit love the coach no matter what happens the rest of their season or years that he's there dan campbell's the best coach in the nfl i mean i i love everything about him because he's everything the nfl is not <laughs> and that's what makes him great and if i were a gm I'd hire that guy to be my head coach because you know what? It still is about defense and he knows it. It's also about having the right players on offense and knowing how to run or pass, not just get sucked into one or the other, but knowing when to do one to do one or the other. That guy is uh, he's doing it right, John. And I love him. He's a special coach, Pete. The players love him. Yeah. And uh, just like you said, uh, anybody that really loves watching defense, as well as just good hard-nosed football, loves this guy. Let me throw this out, Pete. Uh, Jordan Love came back from a 17-zip deficit against the Saints, and granted, um, the uh, quarterback car was a little dinged up, but they came back from 17-zip and beat him 18-17. Yeah. And he had the number one passer rating in the league with a 118.9. Like I so, said. So, like I, I say – for I'm those eating, of you who I'm are eating, saying, <laughs> I'm eating humble pie, John. That's all I wanted to say. I'm eating humble pie because I was, I'm the first guy who, it's like early. I was the first guy on the bandwagon with Dion, but I was the first guy off. And I, it's starting to get a little crowded with me now because people realize, oh, maybe that Nigerian guy was right. This guy, 
he's a great talker, but that team ain't that great. And I think people are following that. Jordan Love, I was wrong. That guy, he's showing us that he is a real deal. I agree. Well, if you want more of the real deal, folks, tune in tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Pete Najarian and I will be back with The Rebel's Edge. Thank you for watching. Tell a friend, and we'll see you tomorrow.